You're listening to Recap.fm's coverage of the HBO miniseries Chernobyl. This is episode four, The Happiness of All Mankind. I'm JD. I'm Seal. Did you watch it? All right, so this episode is is a few months after the disaster. We've we've reached uh you know, they've kind of stopped the bleeding and now this is the cleanup process. Yeah, we've had a time jump. And yeah. so yeah, now it's less solving the immediate problem and more solving the long-term problem right. and what that looks like. Now we can well, there's both. We're solving the problem of how do we stop the reactor from putting more radiation out? Yes. And two, how do we clean up the area so that it doesn't spread further than it already has? Right. So yeah, there's still some definite well, immediate needs. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that goes without saying. Exposed reactor core, spitting out twice the radiation of the Hiroshima bomb every hour, yeah. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, until they cover it up. Right, exactly. That's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, that is terrifying. So let's talk about the decontamination operations first, and then we'll get to um, what's actually happening at the plant. So... Pavel, we meet Pavel and Macho, and I forget the other guy's name. The Armenian. The Armenian. I don't know if we ever got his name. He just says that Armenian piece of yeah, shit over right, there. Right, right, yeah. right. So Pavel is not in the army. He was drafted because they need 750,000 men, and the army doesn't have that many. So, okay, we're going to draft this guy in, and their job is to uh, kill all the animals, the pets and such that are left behind. They refer to it as hunting. Yeah, hunting. Nice, nice euphemistic uh, yeah. turn of phrase there. That's not really hunting. Like, and because Bacho even admits, he's like, yeah, they come pretty much right up to you at first, you know, because they're hungry and they want to see people. So they'll come right up to you. But after we start, they'll run and hide and go where they're comfortable. And that's when you go door to door. And I understand the necessity of having to do this. And I think this was a good thing for people to show for the TV series to show because of how heavy it is because people love their animals absolutely and people have deep deep connections with their pets and i know so, i do yeah and so watching the one the pets were abandoned because yeah you can't take your pet two watching them having to kill them because of the radiation that they were exposed to and i mean it's very unceremonious at the end of the day it's just a truckload of dead cats and dogs that they dump into a hole and cover with concrete much like they did with the uh, the dead firemen, right? It's because it's, it, because of the radiation, yeah. that's what they have to do. And <laughs> it's it's interesting to see it through Pavel's eyes. So he's new, and it's his first day, and you can tell that he's never been in the army. He's never like killed anything before. He's he's innocent, and that innocence is going to be taken away really fast. Yes, it's it's shocking. So. Bacho, they go out for the first time, and Bacho's like, I got two rules. Don't ever point your gun at me. Point it at that guy. That's fine. I don't care. But not at me. And two, don't let the animals suffer, which I appreciate. Yeah. You know, trying to be as humane as possible. Like, all these animals have to die. Let's make sure they don't suffer. Yeah, let's make it quick. and They don't need to suffer. What? What? That doesn't help anything. That doesn't make it better. Let's do it quick and make it as painless as possible. Right. So, Pavel, the first one he shoots... He gut shots it and is sitting there bleeding, suffering, and he can't do anything. He can't he's, finish it off. Yeah, he's just frozen. He just doesn't – he's got the deer in the headlights look, and he just doesn't know what to do. Yeah. He can't 
finish it off. So Bacho comes up and shoots the dog and's like, look, I told you, don't let them suffer. I will kill you myself if you let the animal suffer. Mm-hmm. I've killed plenty of men. It's not a big deal. And then they have a sit-down moment at lunch and a, a bit of a realization. I'm sure we'll get into this in the philosophical part. Oh, but, definitely. Yes. But Bacho saying, you know, it's the first, everybody feels this way after the first time. You think you'll never be yourself again, but you are. You wake up the next day and you just realize that's who you always were. That was is, a hard truth right there. It is. It's hard to think, you know, like, wow, I guess that's true. He's like, yeah, you'll wake up tomorrow. You'll be the same son of a bitch and you'll realize it was always in you. Yeah. That's just, ugh. it's brutal. And then there's a scene with the old lady milking the cow and the soldier's like, it's time to go. You have to evacuate. And she's like, No. I don't have to. What are you going to do? Shoot me? Like, I've been here through this rebellion, the Bolsheviks, this and this and this. I've I've lived in that house my whole life. I'm 82. I'm not leaving. You can't make me. So even after the soldier threatens her and then shoots her cow. Which he would have to do anyway. Yeah. Somebody's going to have to come shoot that cow anyway. Right. So he's like, all right, it's time to go. You don't have a cow to milk. Let's get out of here. And I understand her point of view. She's 82. She's lived her life. She doesn't care. At this point. Right. But the soldier has a job and they can't leave anybody behind. And he would get in huge trouble if he had left her there. Oh, yeah. Huge trouble. So it's like, okay, it's kind of a, he doesn't want to be super mean to this 80s year old woman, but she needs to comply. Yes. That's what needs to happen. There's, there's only one option here. And he has to make, so to make his point, he shoots the cow. Yeah. And it makes the point. Right. Because the next thing you know, she's getting on that bus. Yep. That's what has to happen. Anything else we want to talk about there, or are we going to save it for the philosophical portion? I mean, the deep stuff will save. For yeah. Philosophical. Okay. I, that's where I think I made the most notes. Yeah. Was there. All right. Well, then let's talk about the cleanup at Chernobyl before we get into uh, Komuk, because that's important. That needs its own section. So there's three roofs that have to be cleaned off at Chernobyl before they can cover up the core. Because right now the core is still exposed. Yes. Shooting off them as much radiation as the Hiroshima bomb every hour, unstopping, just going and going and going. We've got to stop it. And we get an aerial shot in this episode after the smoke and the flames gone. We finally see just how exposed Mm -hmm. that whole core is. That Three quarters of that building is gone. Right. And it's just, the whole thing's just laid bare. There's no graphite protecting nothing. And the graphite is the problem because before they can put a structure on the roof, they've got to get rid of the graphite because of how radioactive it is and how toxic it is. So two of the roofs, they're able to use a moon rover kind of thing, which they had done before in the Soviet Union. They landed things on the moon and it was remote controlled. Cool. Let's do that because the... The radiation wasn't super high. Yeah, on one of the rooftops, it was a thousand Ronkin. The other one was two thousand or three thousand. Right, two, and two or three. It was one you could be on for three hours. One you could be on for an hour, like as a human, fully yeah. covered. And then, so that's not too bad. It's not safe, but I mean, three hours is a lot of leeway. The third one, well, I forget the name of the roof, but that's not what's important. It was Masha, wasn't it? Masha, yeah. yeah. If you're on there for three minutes, three minutes in full gear, your life expectancy is halved. Yep. And then what? Another two minutes, and you're dead in three dead. or four days. Yeah, yeah. They're like it's safe twelve thousand Ronkin. Yeah, safe to say that is the most dangerous place on the earth. And right? they, they make roof. the point. They say, yeah, that's that is the most de- that's the deadliest spot on the entire planet. Is right. right there on that roof. 
So they, um, they're able to clear the first two with the moon rover. And so they think they have a robot from West Germany that could come and do the other roof. They're like, the, you know, Germ- nothing we can make in the Soviet Union, but this German one can, can work. So they put Joker up on the roof, and it goes one meter forward and then immediately dies. Immediately. And come to find out, the government used the propaganda number when they were explaining it to West Germany. They didn't tell them how really bad it was because to protect their image and the world and things like that. They're like, oh, we can't, we can't be honest. And Zerbina loses his mind on the oh, phone. Oh, he, he storms out of the control room. Yeah. And then you cut and you smash cut to he is screaming into this phone. He says, I know they're listening. I don't care that they're listening. I want them to hear. I want them to hear. You tell them all you tell Gorbachev. And he just goes off on it. Do you have any idea what we're dealing with here? Like, seriously, people are here every day risking their lives. Men are exposing themselves to radiation at levels that are going to kill them so that we can prevent the rest of the world from having to suffer. And you're not helping us. You're not helping us at all. It's not okay. So, and then he kills the phone. Yeah. So they have a discussion. What do we do? And we can't use any robot. There's no man-made robot. We've got to use live robots. That's what Legasov says. And he says, what does he call them? Bio robots? Bio robots. And they say, what are you talking about? He says, men. Men. You use men. Men. So, uh, they're forced to, I mean, I forget. 3,828, I think, is the number of men that had to go through. I thought through. it was 4,800. Maybe it's 4,800. It's a lot of people. And they can only be up on the roof for 90 seconds. Yep. Like, they put them in full gear. And they say, here's what you do. We've got to get all the graphite off. You get a shovel. You take it. You throw it over the side. Don't look over the side. Yeah, don't. Don't look. No. That's a terrible idea. And don't stumble. Don't stumble. Don't touch the roof. There's a hole in the middle of the roof. You got to be careful. You do 90 seconds, you get off, you don't ever have to go back. But, and the general, I'm starting to like him more. He explains, he's like, these 90 seconds may be the most important of your life. Yeah, he's giving this speech to every group that's going up. And yeah, he's just telling me this is, these are the guys that are literally saving the world. Yes. For real. Yeah. Yeah. Because that roof has to be cleared. We have to contain this and we have to do it now. And there's no other way. So. The scene where they have, where we follow a group out there is one of the most terrifying things you ever see on a show because you know how serious it is. You know what they're actually facing and you kind of feel like you're up there with them. They, they did such a good job. They did a great job of following that one guy, not a word of dialogue, yeah. just the breathing through the mask and the, the dosimeter going crazy, going crazy. And the one guy doing everything wrong. Yes. He did everything. He, he, he's like, Oh, what do I do? He, he kind of waited at first and then went over to the side and got a little one, then tried to pick up one that was too big. So someone came and helped him. And then he tripped and fell on the And he looked over the rail twice. Yeah. He got his foot caught underneath some graphite and it cut his boot. You're like, well, that dude is in trouble. Yep. But I mean, it was, it was intense. Uh, That scene is really, really intense. Mm -hmm. But they succeed. They're able to get the roof clear, which is awesome. The 38 or 4,800. Men that cycle through there. I I did the. I, somebody can go back and do the math. I did the math, and it was it came out to like uh, ninety hours of work. That's crazy. So the man hours is obviously higher than that, but yeah. you know, just you, you run all the groups through, and because they did it like so many times, and it yeah. was, I think it was like ninety hours. I think that's right. Yeah. 
It's a lot. Yeah. And significant. 90 seconds at a time. Yeah. Oof. That's crazy. It's crazy. But they got it done. And then let's talk about uh, Komuk and what she discovers. She's going and doing the research. She's trying to figure out the timeline of what happened at the plant so that it doesn't happen again. Because the RBMK reactors, there's 12 other ones operational in the U- in the USSR, whatever you want to call it, at the time. So like, okay, we got to figure out what happened so that it doesn't happen again. And she's going through red tape the whole way. Like she goes to the library and she has a list of things that are restricted, like eight or nine documents. And she takes it to the desk and says, hey, I'm the central committee. I'm doing an investigation for them, which seems pretty high up. Mm-hmm. Which and, is as high as you can get. Right. And so she hands it to the lady and the lady says, okay, let me check with this the, the man in charge. And he takes the list, goes back, comes right back out. I was like, eh, you can have one of these. Yeah. And the one that she gets is heavily redacted and has two pages missing. Just taken out and thrown away. Right. But, Don't exist anymore. But they made a mistake. They left the table of contents unredacted. So she's able to see what those two pages are. Mm-hmm. And so she has some idea of the AZ, the button that they pushed, which is the emergency stop. Okay, something about this is not right. I need to find out what it is. So she goes to Dyatlov, who is just the worst human being ever. Oh, he's just... Ugh. I can't stand him. And he's like, uh, you can leave now. I'm, I'm, And she's like, I'm trying to save you. I'm the only way that you're not going to avoid the bullet. And so she hands him the document. He's like, I don't know. I have no idea. These two things have nothing to do with each other. Cool. Now you can leave. And I'm going to die anyway. I don't care. Ridiculous. Like, he just still, I mean, he's insulting the the people who were working at the reactor that are dead from the radiation poisoning that mm-hmm. they suffered when they tried to fix the problem that he created. Oh, he's like, yeah, this is totally their fault. Right. I, I didn't, did, I didn't, I never gave any order. Right. They did it on their own. It was the only thing they did right, morons. Yeah. Like, but, yeah, it was, granted, it was the only thing they did right, but they're still idiots. And this is not my fault. But I'm going to get blamed for it anyway. Ridiculous. Yeah. He's just an angry, bitter little man yeah. that knows he's going to die and he doesn't care anymore. Right. So then she has a secret meeting with Shabina and Legasov, um, away from KGB spies in like an old abandoned school. Over in Pripyat. Yeah. And so what they're talking is Legasov is going to testify in front of the International Atomic Energy Agency. And then also... Famine Dyatlov and the uh, engineer are all being put on trial and they're supposed to testify as expert witnesses. Yep. But the testimony before the IEA comes first. Yes. And so the question is, what are you going to tell him? What do we tell him? And so he's like, what did you find out? And Komuk tells him something happened when they pushed AZ and it shouldn't have happened. Like it's a real problem. So is it their fault? Yes, but is it really their fault? That's what the question is. So she's like, she shows him the article, and Legasov knows what those missing two pages are. Yeah, he's he's read, a colleague of his wrote the article, turns mm-hmm. out. So he's, he's like, yeah, I know about it. It happened in 1975. If the reactor is pushed to a limit, when you put the rods, after you pull them out, when you put them back in, the first thing to hit the reactor isn't boron. It's graphite because the tips of the rods are protected with graphite. So instead of the energy going down, it goes up significantly. So basically what happened was they had some, screwed up something with the reactor and like pushed it to its limit and not done what they should have been doing. But they pulled all the rods out to make sure that they could fix it. But when they closed the rod suddenly, 
it overloaded the reactor. It created it a mass amount of pressure. So basically that all that graphite makes all those neutrons fire right back down. Yep. Jump starts the reactor mm-hmm. and it got real hot real fast. Right. And so, then something then something happened. So it was their fault. It really was. But it's not all their fault. Exactly. Because they weren't aware of what could happen, yeah. even though other people were aware. Yeah. Had but, they known, they probably never would have pushed that button. Exactly. They would have done something different to bring it back. So there's a lot of blame, but a lot of the blame needs to be put on the government and the KGB for you know, hiding all of it and redacting it so that nobody ever would find out about it because their nuclear program is what they're most proud of and what they look great in front of the world. Yes, and and we find out that we come to find out actually earlier in the episode that it is the position of the Central Committee that a globally catastrophic nuclear accident cannot happen in the Soviet Union. Right. And clearly it just did, but right. that's the hubris that's, and the stubbornness that we I, I mentioned go went back to, I think, the first episode. Yeah. Just... So Kilmuk is like, Legasov, you got to tell the truth. And, and Shabina's like, no, what are you talking about? They will go after you. They'll go after your family. They'll kill everybody. And of course, Kilmuk's like, I would do it if I was in your position. And Shabina's like, yeah, sure you would. That's easy for you to say, but you're not in that position. I know people braver than you that have caved in that sort of position. Mm-hmm. What we need to do is we need to tell the KGB, hey, we know what the problem is. Let's fix it on the side. And then we'll tell you know, the world, something else so that it can get fixed. Right. Which, you know, as long as it gets fixed, that's cool. And as long as it's handled internally, but we have no reason to believe that it's going to be handled internally because it wasn't handled 10 years ago. Sure. When they first found out about it. And that's what her point is. What are you talking about? You say I'm delusional. Look at what has happened. This is not going to work. You know, they're not going to do anything. You need to tell the truth in front of the world. That's the only thing that will force them to fix it. Did we miss anything? Oh, uh, Ludmilla. Yeah. Lost the baby. Ludmilla lost the baby. It lived for four hours. And the reason that the baby died and that she didn't is because the baby absorbed the radiation Mm -hmm. and saved her, which is just heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. This should have been the other way. You know, parents, you know. She should have never gone inside that plastic. No. Parents sacrifice for their babies, not their babies sacrifice for the parents. Correct. It was very, very hard. And that was another point that Comic made. She's like, look what happened to her. You know, we've got to do something or this could happen again. And mm-hmm. more needless loss of life. So, the devil is in the details. Truly. And the reason I bring that up is that table of contents. Had that not been redacted, we wouldn't know. And it's it's an interesting case of someone missed a detail. A big detail. A big detail. A seeming, what would probably seem like a small detail, but it's actually a big detail. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I want to talk about that a little bit. Just in in life, I mean, don't you find that to be true? That it's what you perceive as some mundane detail that comes back and bites you? Yeah, or some... You miss something. You miss mm-hmm. something small. You miss something easy. You miss a step. Like when you're cooking, if you miss, forget to put sugar in your cookies. You know what? Your cookies are going to be gross. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so you, it's it's a difficult thing that you have to pay attention 
you have to be super detail oriented all the way through, or like you said, it's going to come back and bite you. And I know I'm guilty of that. There's a lot of times where I'm trying to work quick. So I'm like, I'm not as accurate or I'll miss something. But I'm like, I'm trying to get it done and move on to the next thing. And when I should just slow down and do it right so that it saves me time and effort later. Yep. But what's interesting about it is in this case, it was helpful. That's what I found. That's mm-hmm. what I found so interesting because usually in those situations, missing that detail is ends up being a bad thing. Yeah. And in this case, it ended up quite possibly saving the world. Yeah. I know we, I know we say that a lot, but this is, a, this was a globally catastrophic potential yeah. thing that was about to go down. Right. So let's talk about what is truth. Okay. I got, we don't have, obviously that could be a hours long discussion and we're <laughs> not going to do that here uh, on this episode, but it got me going that the the meeting, the little clandestine meeting in mm-hmm. Pripyat, mm-hmm. and Sherbina says, you know, you ask the bosses, you get the lie. Yeah. And so you're asking the people that that know the truth, that have the truth, but they're purveying the lie as the truth. And so what then becomes the truth? Is truth truly objective? I say yes. I say that there is absolute there are absolutely positively objective truths. Sure. And we deny them to promote what we want, what we want or desire to be the truth or what will, you know, cover our own ass. Sure. I mean, some truths definitely subjective. There are definitely truth truths, like undeniable truths, but. And I think you see it more also in the Soviet Union in the way that they perceive truth. Like, the truth is what I tell you it is. The truth is what I'm, I make it. I don't care what you think the truth is. And the sooner you accept that, this, the, the easier this will be. Well, and, that, and that's kind of my point is, is truth is truth. So truth is something that is objective. That is, I hate to use a word to define a word, but true. It's, you know, it, it is what it is, right? Right. And so this idea of a subjective truth, I reject that and I call that subjective truth the lie. Yeah, absolutely. And so you ask the bosses, you get the lie. You ask for the truth, you get the lie. Mm -hmm. They give you the quote unquote subjective truth, which lets drop the euphemism and call it the lie. Right. I agree. They don't want you to know the real truth. They want you to know what they think you need to know. And it's just more control. I mean, we've seen it this whole this whole series. Like, it's our job to let the sheeple know what they believe and that we're here to protect them. And they don't really want to know the truth. They just want to know that they're going to be okay, which isn't true. Which brings me to someone has to start telling the truth, which is the part of that, the end, which is the tail end of that conversation in the, when they're in their little hideaway meeting is that somebody has to start telling the truth and tell it to the world in such a way that shed light on it. And, the, and my, my note I wrote, sunlight is the best disinfectant. Sure. It's, that's got to be so difficult in that world. Oh yeah. I mean, I can't imagine because like, you know, your actions have consequences, not only for you, but for everybody. And everybody you care about and everybody you love. That's what Sherbina was trying to say. Like, they're going to come after your family. Like, I understand that you want to tell the truth. And I understand that we want everybody to know and we want to protect the world. But it's a big question. Like, that, though, is sacrificing you and everyone you love. So are you willing to sacrifice all the people close to you for the good of the world? 
which is just a heavy, heavy question and a situation that I don't really want to be faced with. Sure. Well, it comes back to, we've talked about this before, you know, the needs of the many outweighing needs of the few or the one. And then right. how do you, I mean, can you step up when you have to and do that? And that's, right. but man, them coming question. after your family makes it difficult because then you're making a choice for the people that you're closest to. Sure. And that's what I think. If it was just me, like if it was only me and I knew no one else would be affected, I think I could choose differently. But thinking that they're going to come after everybody that I care about and they're not going to have any say, like whatever I decide is going to affect them, that's really a tough thing. Oh, yeah. So let's talk about coping mechanisms. Okay. Specifically all the vodka that is free-flowing. <laughs> when, when Pavel comes in the tent, yeah. the first thing he's offered some vodka and he says, no, no, it's free. Yeah. All you can drink. Yeah. And you see it everywhere throughout the camp. Yeah. Guys are just getting blasted. And because, hey, let's keep them lubricated and keep right. them happy. Right. And the and the things that these guys do, especially specifically the hunters, he calls it hunting for one thing. He says, yeah, yeah you ever go hunting? That's what we're going to do. Right. And then he, but he does break it in and says, we've got to kill all the domestic animals, yeah. but you know. It's pretty much shooting fish in a barrel. Yeah. And so he says, hey, don't let them suffer. Make it quick. Yeah. Then they have their little lunch break. And it, they're just, the, they're just acting normal, except for, except for Pavel, who's in shell shock. I mean, he's completely in shock at this right. point. But, and again, the vodka's flowing. Mm-hmm. And it's just, let's just eat and drink it away. And we'll just cope with the situation. And the Armenian even points out the sign. Yeah. Yeah. The happiness of all mankind. For the happiness of all mankind. Yeah. And that's what we're doing this for, and or that's what all this is supposed to be for, which is just, the irony there is just amazing. Yeah. Because that, under that kind of a system, there's not a lot of happiness. Yeah. But. I mean, I don't know what else they could do yeah. to cope, but like. Yeah, I mean, that, that, and I guess that's my question. It's like, how do you cope with a an overwhelming situation like that? I mean, is, it seems like a pretty human reaction. I mean, I know, yeah. you know, my belief system, you know, tells me to treat it differently. But even so, it's so hard. Yeah. I mean, come on. I, I don't know if I could shoot a dog. Right. I mean, and the necessity of it is apparent. I yes, it is. But I don't think that they explain that very well to Pavel. Like, they certainly didn't in the show. It's like, hey, we're doing this because they're going to suffer and die a slow and painful death. And then they could also, you know, spread things to other yeah. people. So we need to make sure that we end them now so that none of that happens and they don't die a slow, painful death. But that doesn't make it easier in the moment. And, nope. And so... I don't know how I'd cope with anything like that. I think it would probably be very similar. You know, like, okay, I got to be a little bit intoxicated all the time, and I just got to go about my day until this is over, and then try to forget that I ever had to do this. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what else it I could be. Do. Oh, God, it would be so hard. It would be awful. Definitely. That's kind of the that's kind of the notes I have. Okay. I mean, a lot of it goes to, um, you know, strength of moral conviction or lack of moral conviction. And yeah, I think we kind of touched on all of that with each one of these little topics. And it's, I mean, I think that's important. Like you see the individuals have strength of moral character, strength of moral conviction, but they can't fight the system. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's people in the system 
that have strong moral character, but the system as a whole cannot allow that to happen because it will all come crumbling down. So the, the mob mentality is, okay, we're all together in this and we're going to keep our system in place because that's who we are and that's our image. But you could see that pieces of the machine are like, oh, this is really awful, really awful. Do we rage against the machine and fight back or do we just go along with the flow? Which is a tough, tough, tough question. It is. And in a in a globally disastrous, life threatening situation, I mean, you're you're on an order of magnitude of toughness yeah. that I don't think, you know, any one of us in our daily lives is ever gonna face. No. No. There's one thing that we missed that I want to talk about. Okay. Legasoft smiles. <laughs> yes. For the first time he smiles because there, the, the moon rover is working. It's yes, actually on working the first rooftop. on it's... the first roof. And he smiles like, oh my gosh, it's a little bit of, and you could see Sherbina kind of celebrating with him. Like well, and it's Sherbina that points it out. Yeah, He's like, wait a minute, what is that, a smile? Yeah, and it's, it's, it's a nice moment. And we needed that yes. in this episode because Legasoft has been slaving Sherbina. They're working so hard and they have a small victory. Because they're able to do something with robotics that doesn't put any more life in danger. Right. And they're able to accomplish a task. And I thought that was a cool moment. That was. Yeah. And it was like, okay, there is hope on the other side of this because these people are working diligently. And it's illustrative of celebrate the small victories. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, a win is a win is a win. Right. You've got to celebrate milestones along the way. Yes. Because otherwise the journey could be overwhelming. Absolutely. Especially in that situation, because I'm sure looking at that and just looking at the big picture, you're like, oh my goodness, mm. how are we going to get through this? But if you take it a step at a time, you're like, okay, we did that. We did this. We did this. Yes, we're getting there. You know, it's probably, mm-hmm. that's probably a good way to cope. Okay. Well, that is it for this episode. We have one episode left to wrap up this series. We appreciate everybody who's stuck with us throughout, who subscribed, who's liked, who's commented. If you want to do any of that and you want to leave us a review or anything, you can do that on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. We would love to hear it. We would love to read it out. We'd love to talk to you. There's a couple ways you can reach us. You can reach us on Twitter. My Twitter's at RealJDLee. I am at Seal Adams. That's S-E-A-L-E-A-D-A-M-S. And we have a whole network of uh, shows about television, movies, just recapping things that we find interesting. You can follow that Twitter at RecapFM or please go to our website, recap.fm, and get on our mailing list. We'll send you out emails about giveaways, contests coming up, new shows coming out. And um, we just want to talk to you. And you can also find all of our other shows on that website. Remember, recap.fm. So we'll be back next week to finish up Chernobyl. Until then, have a good week. Late.